up the leg, and through the Gerber. That's right. That's how your elevator works. Well, used to anyway, before they became the uh, cement monstrosities that were needed because of the uh, elimination of the curl rate, which eliminated spur lines, which eliminated towns being on uh, railway. So people had to start driving their grain to big elevators, big collection ports, I guess they call them, some kind of inland port where the railway actually still goes, and usually it's on the main line. So uh, before that, there was the crow rate, which uh, helped railways collect grain from all over the prairies, which allowed them to operate spur lines that shot right into communities, small towns, all the way through. So a farmer could take his grain to a local elevator, and sometimes there was just one, sometimes there was two companies operating elevators in a town or a small hamlet, or just uh, where the elevator was, which was in the middle of grain country for the farmer's convenience. <laughs> so if you want to see what the crow rate being withdrawn did, then uh, then just go drive around country roads today that are being pounded into submission by semi-trucks hauling grain long distance from farmers, uh, granaries, all the way to these big inland terminals. And do the math. Uh, how much we repair roads every year as compared to the old days. Roads used to last a long time because trucks were a lot smaller and didn't travel very far on the roads. And uh, I think the tall foreheads back in Ottawa who thought getting rid of the crow rate was such a brilliant money saver, uh, if, you could, if you could dig them up and uh, you know, turn their skeleton head to the books, uh, you would see the actual cost of their decision, which cost railway jobs. I knew a lot of people when I was a kid that used to uh, work on the railway right out of high school as a good job, and they could launch into their own farm or their own business uh, or stay with the railroad. It was a great career. Um, it's tough to do now. Things have really changed, and the business guys who live in the tall towers uh, I don't think they drive those roads much, because <laughs> if they did, they'd be like, what caused all this? Uh, and the politicians, I don't know what they know. But um, I know, because I drove out in there, and it was, just, it was like driving through some, some place that had just been shelled big time, because uh, the holes in the roads were massive. And uh, yeah, it was just ugly. Anyway, so I guess the farmers and the... And the uh, the provinces and the people have to pay for the railroads. Really, uh, you know, up the leg and through the Gerbers, how they took it there. So, uh, you know, my gosh. Anyway, uh, efficiency is not always efficient, is uh, our motto <laughs> here at Manitobaville Podcast. Hi, I'm Angel, and you're listening to us talk today about the English elevators, their national heritage site. There are five elevators. I think five. We'll get the, the actual number from Bert Marshall and Ernie Neubauer. I talked to them a number of years ago, and this is a great interview. Uh, we're talking about the elevators, their purpose, and uh, what things were like back in the day for farmers and uh, rural people. And those are the days when we used to have an economy in the countrysides, in the rural, 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 the smaller towns uh, were all over the place. 
you could pop in anywhere and there was a, a scene going on. There was grocery stores, there was uh, post offices, there was schools, there was people. Yeah, there's actually people all around, lots of people. And all those towns uh, have taken a big hit in population and it's because the crow rate was abolished and uh, railways pulled out their spur lines and encouraged farmers to drive farther to deliver their grain. And now we have roads that look like war zones and we put millions and millions and millions of dollars into fixing these roads every year um, instead of having a spur line and a railway go in to pick up the grain. So yay, big, big, tall foreheads down in Ottawa thought that was a great idea because why are those Westerners getting a subsidy? <laughs> and now they're paying for our roads to be fixed every year and the inconvenience and it's just miserable and railway jobs have gone away and all kinds of economies are affected. Uh, farmers had to get bigger trucks, they had to get semis with the uh, dual, the what do you call those, the dual, the, the second the second uh, trailer on them. What do you call those? Uh, articulated. They had, they had to expand how much grain they could move from their farm. And of course, they got bigger because small farmers, you know, who didn't want the expense uh, or couldn't afford the expense or their kids all moved away from the farm uh, were left with an uneconomic situation. So other farmers that were able to expand bought up their land and Kaboom, now you got mega agra business going on. And those 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 farms are hauling lots and lots of grain with lots and lots of trucks, lots and lots of miles. And yeah, so when you go for a drive on, on those highways, those secondary highways, you have to slow down if you don't want to break your axle on your car <laughs> or your or your little truck your van or whatever it is you're driving. I couldn't even imagine on a motorcycle hitting one of those. That would be uh, a commercial to encourage you to wear helmets and, and all kinds of gear. Uh, but then concussions happen on the inside of your head, so um, I don't know. <laughs> there's, probably, <laughs> there's no there's no answer, no solution. Uh, anyway, uh, look up Manitobaville. That's the word we're pushing, the word, the word, the word. It's our... Uh, form of uh, we're con trying to conserve conversation here we're trying to make a sustainable idea happen and that's where we're at so manitobaville is what you look up on podcatchers it's what you look up on social medias it's what you type in when you go manitobaville.ca and you find manitobaville.ca and there you can see all the different shows we have up and you can link then to the podcatchers and to social medias should you like to. And you can make a donation or a suggestion. You're free to do so. And tell your friends that the word is Manitobaville. And they can tune in. And they might find something on here they want to listen to. And I think they'll be surprised. You know, pick a pick a topic you, you don't think you would listen to. And you'll find a regular person talking about uh, interesting stuff. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Okay, so I've talked long enough here. This is a way long intro to this. So, um, so yeah. So up the leg, through the Gerber, and into the interview just after this break. They were built 1920-21, opened in 21, November okay. of 21. All four of them at the same time? No. Nope. He's actually started the fire UGG, I believe, in 
1920. They never completed it till 21. Yeah. And the rest well, of them were then again, I believe. I believe this smaller uh, Reliance, I guess what the name is on there now, Yeah. Uh, they built that one first. Yeah, that was one. first, and the other one was added yeah. in 42? I think the last, yeah, the other bigger one was yeah. built in the early 40s. Yeah. Hmm. And there's four of them here, and that was the original four? Well, it's actually five. There's five. Yeah. Counting those two is five. Oh, there's yeah. five here. Yeah. 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 Five all in a row, yep. standing yep. attention. Yep. And I believe it sounds like just the only five in a row original built frame elevators in the world. Yeah, that's why it's National Historic Site because there's lots of places have got some of these elevators, but um, there's towns I know of that has had six, eight elevators. Now they got maybe one, mm -hmm. maybe two, maybe none. Yeah. Springside used to have six, they got none. Mm-hmm. Most have none, yeah, but most some none. places have preserved one. Yeah, yeah, and some are privately owned too, as well. Right. Well, they're, they're pretty all privately owned now, unless there's a terminal right beside them. Right. Between here and Russell, which is twelve miles across country, there used to be twelve elevators. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there was two other sidings, which was Cracknell, which had four, I believe. Three. Three. And, and Medill. And then that one was all by itself there, just north of. Uh, Russell about four miles, three miles. Hmm. Yeah, three, four miles there. Uh, I guess the way they were built is, uh, as far as they got with the rail, they built an elevator. Mm -hmm. So it was closer for, closer for the farmers to haul grain. Well, actually... The next year, they went further and built some more elevators. Actually, what it was, was that uh, it was all horse and wagons, mm -hmm. and, all and they felt okay. one day for a farmer to load his grain get into the elevator and get home by that night that's right. why they were all built six seven eight miles apart yeah and they didn't hold as like the new new elevators hold massive amounts but these ones held a certain amount anyway yeah, and, yeah. They, but they'd they slowly fill up over the yeah these elevators usually, usually held except for that small reliance 30 32 thousand bushels that's, many, that's many, the actual elevator that's the but actual later elevator. later when annexes. more grain and was grown and uh bigger yeah. equipment for hauling grain trucks yeah. they put annexes on right. for storage okay yeah. yeah well in 1939 started the second world war the federal government brought in bert knows about it the illustrious canadian wheat board yeah and they decided they needed more grain because of the war mm -hmm. so they would pay elevator companies a cent a bushel a month storage okay so that made elevator companies to make more money. They would build these annexes mm. onto them. Okay. So they would get more money. And I used to be a grain buyer, and it was rule of thumb. Um, your superintendent wanted your elevator at eighty percent capacity. Right. Why would an Why would a grain company want more money? <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's the way they made their money. It was on the handling. Yeah. Was on the handling that's the what they call and, progress yeah, yeah 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 more money means more yeah employment yeah. Mm -hmm. in 1966 67 when i was buying i had an annex like this one here holds forty thousand bushels in it they were yeah. getting a cent a bushel a month storage so that thing was full the grain company i worked for saskatchewan wheat pool was getting four hundred dollars a month okay just for that annex alone you know what my wages were I was being paid very good, yeah. $413 a month. Yeah. <laughs> so the storage 
paid my wages. Right, right. Yep. And that's just the annex, not the grain that was that's in the right. elevator. Yep. That's right. Yeah, like I had uh, like 92,000 capacity altogether. Yeah. So they made pretty good money. And you couldn't freelance, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So how, so, okay, so so the main elevator would hold how many bushel? 96? No, about 30, 32,000. Yeah. 32, yeah, around yeah. 30,000. So I how, guess it's pretty general. how many bushels were people getting to the acre back then? Like how, how many? So what I want to just picture, I, how many square miles or how many, how many, how, how big a land? The drawing, the drawing area yeah, for, for English here. Well, to fill an elevator, how much land would you require if I wanted to fill it up? Back, fill, in, fill, um, fill, back in those days. Well, it was usually one bushel. Cody had that was one bushel per seeded acre. Okay. You had 300 acres of wheat, you could deliver 300 bushels of grain. Okay. Is that was to keep everybody equal. So every farmer could haul in so many bushels. Hmm. And that's where once timeline progressed, where farmers were getting bigger, naturally the bigger farmers mm-hmm. were totally against that. Yeah. Then you went to contracting. Right. Yeah. And plus you got which better. Is a, which is actually better because the old system they had penalized the good farmer. Yeah. The farmer who was out there fertilizing and getting more weed, per acre. Weed control and getting more per acre. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of times I had farmers who would trade quotas. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he yeah. had, this one had grain left. He, this other one had sold all his grain. Mm-hmm. So and this guy couldn't sell his grain, so he would use his quota. Yeah. <laughs> that but then was he quite kept, general, yeah. 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 And, but he, he kept the afterpayment, as it was called. Okay. Yeah, which usually was what? Bird on average in those days? Well, it, six, it, it varied. It varied. Like, so if you weren't getting good... good uh, results from your land you can still make a living just by s- supporting the other farmers yeah. who had better land or yeah. better systems yeah. it was a tough go i can remember and bert yeah. probably remembers it too what was that 1967 i remember they extended the, the year to middle of august because we couldn't get all the grain in it was only a four and a half bushel quota that means four and a half bushels per seeded acres is all you could sell wow See, there was so many things that were involved with this quota business. We have five elevators here, or four four companies. And what happened, okay, say Patterson here, they would have room for another quota. They'd know about how many bushels, permit holders they had through the wheat board, how much could be delivered. So did Pool, or that Reliance one. So Mm -hmm. did the other one. And then, say, I have more customers. My mm-hmm. elevator is full. I can't open no quota. Mm-hmm. But Patterson here, he's got lots of room. He didn't have as many customers as he wants a quota open, right. but the other guy don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was always that yeah. between so, them too. Yeah. Yeah. So would the grain companies cooperate like farmers would? <laughs> well, <laughs> somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah. It was actually amazing how how well we got along. Yeah. The the grain buyers, your competition. Yeah. I had an old Rustin Hornsby diesel engine. If I left it for a week, went on vacation or something, I didn't have enough air to start it, so we started by hand. Right. And here they forgot to fill my oil tank. Hmm. So it was cold like this, and then I'll try and start a 19-horse diesel engine by hand mm-hmm. when you weigh 140 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so I phoned the And UGG the wind chill outside. And wind chill outside, outside is 50. Yeah. And I phoned the UGG agent, Harvey Blue, and he come down and helped me start my engine. Yeah. And a couple of times I'd gone, gone down and helped him start his engine. Yeah. 
Because so you're neighbors, too. We're know. neighbors, yeah. too, yeah. We had, you had to live together. Yeah. 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 Your Went telephone the... was on the same party line. Yeah. <laughs> so if you wanted to listen in to somebody calling him, you could. Yeah. But you never did. Get all the scoop, all the lowdown yeah. on what, what the competition's doing. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Yeah. They're buying grain and selling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where I was, yeah. uh, a one bushel quarter for me was 20,000 bushels. Okay. So that's... But one bushel quarters, I don't remember that. I've, I've farmed here my whole life. Okay. Uh, I don't remember that happening too often. Quite often they'd open up to two bushels. Sometimes it'd be three bushels. Yeah, mm. depending upon how much but space quite you often, had. But quite often they open up by one bushel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So could you, as a farmer, would you store it on your land, like in a grain bin, and wait for... Yes, yeah. like, it was all stored. Was it waiting for better prices or just waiting We're, for them to accept no, grain? No, handling. There was no capacity. Yeah. So, so they the would farmer just, had to with, do something with... This is the worst country in the world as far as this system is concerned mm -hmm. any other place when they harvest they get to haul it in they have unit trains that get rid of it and they'll store here it. the farmer has to store it. that's why yeah i have so many people that visit through here from europe and the states and australia and places like that they are amazed at how many bins are on farmers yards yeah they yeah. can't believe it. And I said, well. And that's quite an expense to a farmer. Like that well, to yes. build up oh, bins. They're, they're even, quite costly. Yeah. Even today, there's lots of times that farmers, end of the crop year, end of July, they still got grain left that they harvested last September. Mm -hmm. But they haven't sold it all because yeah. there just isn't enough trains. Nowhere to put it. In yeah. But now there's a different it's, scenario with that better too. better now. Like with uh, contracts and uh, open market sales. Wait, yeah. Quite often, farmers that uh, haven't sold their grain, they're holding back to sign up for a higher price a higher, contract. Yeah. So yeah. that also involves That's part right. of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know, I had one customer. I spent most of my life in the grain business. I had one customer, Vern Stager. He, of course, Don says we're going down to Arizona to our house November first, come hell or high water. Yeah. And uh, so he'd ha sign half his crop in the A contract. And then half in the D contract when he came back in April. Okay. So he had so nothing in between there, right? Yeah, he'd make that plan. He'd make that plan. And then the, yeah. the, the elevator would or terminal would actually accommodate him because, mm -hmm. okay, we got so much of his grain coming because you sign it with them. Yeah. 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 Altogether difference. It's a much and better that, system. And that was the, the old days too, the crow rate. And they had the trains running everywhere and they had the spur lines. And they had they could get out to your elevator and with the number of cars they need and pick it up. And when did the crow rate go away? That was the late eighties, early nineties. Ninety two, I believe. Ninety two, I believe. No, it was later. Ninety six. This was closed off, and I know I had my crow payment before. Ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. And that's four ninety two. I know. Yeah, and then they started digging well, up I mean, spur after lines. They start well, out this. the thing was um, the crow rate actually. Uh, hurt farmers because the railways weren't making money on handling grain mm -hmm. so they didn't handle it unless they had to <laughs> yeah 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 that was that was kind of fun because but it was shorter trip for you to take your grain in too from your farm yeah because they had the spur lines so that worked yeah and now i find what i find is ever since they took the crow rate out and they took out all the spur lines and you have to travel further and then they get the big terminals now that they the centralized ones and these semis now you, you don't want to take a a one or two ton truck load you want to take the semi with a, a second trailer on basically 1500 bushels or more yeah, yeah. and now would, yeah and now now the roads are getting like the roads have been ripped up now for the last 20 years yeah. and they're putting 
So instead of just supporting the railway in the first place, yeah, now it seems to, like they're putting it all into the highways. Every we used year. to have, and where yeah. I was, and same here. The sad thing is, if I may interrupt, uh, with all that, they mm. took out all the spur lines. They just run on the main lines, the railroads. Yeah, and still, that rail line rate has never changed, has never gone down, which should yeah. have been a great big savings to the mm-hmm. railroads, but that has never, ever come down. It's Why still, would a railway need more money? <laughs> well, they, they still want the same amount of money, even though yeah. they're only traveling half the mileage. Like here and where I was, uh, four cars a day is what you got. And you had, you had 24 hours to load them. Mm-hmm. And it took us, with the old diesel engines, it took you about an hour and five, hour and 10 minutes to load 2,200 bushel car. Well, now they got the hoppered cars. Mm-hmm. The railway still demands, there are some terminals have car spots for 125 cars, hoppered cars. Mm-hmm. They have 24 hours to load them. Yeah, wow. They are loading cars now in a mat. There's one north of Winnipeg at um, Toulon, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. They were telling me they load a 90-ton boxcar in two and a half minutes. Wow. <laughs> and for, for, for me to load a 90-ton car, well, a 50-ton car was taking me just over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> which, was pretty good, which was pretty good work. Yeah. yeah. Because you had to dump them. Have you been in one of these elevators? Yeah. Yeah, I took the tour a couple of years ago, three okay. years ago, maybe three. Because those hoppers that they filled up to scale... To put in the proper weight bushels. into every car was mm-hmm. what? Uh, 100 bushels. 100 bushels. Yeah. 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 Now so. these ones, they have the scale at the top of the elevator. Okay. And they'll have, I think it's 8,000 bushels in a hopper. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. You know, big difference. Progress. It's yeah. changed into quite yeah. a different business. Yes. Yeah. So we're sitting here at the English elevator. This is your main office for the uh, tourism Right. Uh, National Historic Tourism right. site, and I'm with Bert Marshall, vice chair of the board here at Inglis. I've uh, been a farmer here my whole life. I uh, was born six miles east of here, and now I live two miles west. Raised a family of three mm-hmm. children. One is married to a farmer at Silverton. The other one is married to a grain buyer in Show Lake. And the other one is uh, actually the farm manager for Pioneer Richardson out of Regina. They're oh, new, okay. new, their new uh, experimental farm. Experiment, okay. What happened there was the person that owned that land, in his will he had down that uh, he didn't want that land commercialized. So in his will he had that it was supposed to go to some agricultural uh end mm-hmm. and so Richardson Pioneer purchased it and they set up an experimental farm did they do livestock experimental no no livestock just breeding? grains just grains yeah yeah that's interesting Ernie Neubauer I used to be a grain buyer back in the 60s and the early 70s I've uh, been in various jobs three quarters of my life has been in the farming industry and weren't you the youngest grain buyer at one time yep <laughs> Yeah, that's all I need to tell you that. Yeah. yeah, I was only 20 years old when I got my elevator, and you had to be 21 to get a bond. Uh-huh. So Scotch and Wheat Pool actually signed my, co-signed my bond for me till I turned 21. 
It said that was a high tra- draft pick. He must have been good in the minors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back and then, <laughs> and then we're thanks to uh, to no um, um, filtration u- units of any kind. Uh, I got allergic bronchitis from grain dust and had to leave it. Yeah, because you would have so, been in elevators. How how many years? Like about five years. Yeah. Yeah, with no no dust collectors or nothing. And then they brought those in. Yep. And then in 1973, they brought in the Black Lung Act. Okay. Which included coal miners, asbestos miners, and people in grain industry. Right, right. And uh, now, if you get in there, if I could have lasted another two years, I would have had a life pension. Oh, really? (laughs) Wow. As it was, I get nothing for it. But as long as I stay away from grain dust, I'm okay. Okay. Well, we won't make you... Go in there, there's, <laughs> but there's no grain in these elevators no, anymore. Is no, there? no, yeah, there's no. heritage site now and yep. spick and yep. span and <laughs> yeah. yeah. This probably must be strange for you guys to walk in an elevator that's clean. Yeah, like no dust. No, <laughs> that's right. No trucks pulling in and out. Nobody running back and forth with samples. Yeah, is it go? Is it ghostly? Then you walk in there and it feels like you see ghosts sometimes. No, or? no. The way this has been uh, renovated and done. It's kind of nice walking in there, seeing agriculture, what it was like, and yeah. the whole uh, idea of a uh, historic site. It's really frozen in time, and it lets yeah. people see into the past. Yeah. Yeah, like the Reliance here is pretty well redone to what it was 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's got the diesel engine in it, and, you know, everything is there. It's mm-hmm. Floor is creaky and wobbly, and, <laughs> and that's the way it should be, because that's the way it was. Yeah, exactly. And you got uh, even the grates in the floors. You're telling me last time where the grates are tilted, and and that was so that it took. I, I didn't even guess. You're trying to get me to guess why, and then you finally told me it was yeah. so that the horses wouldn't get spooked when they pulled yeah, the carts. Because a horse or a cow will not step in in a and hole s- deliberately. Yeah. So and with the slope on it, he doesn't realize that it's. So they had to make it look like a floor. It's flat. Yeah, and but then it was still a grate, so you could dump the the grain through it. When they when they got past that, yeah, that's kind of and that's going back then. Yep. Like when you're bringing it in with, did you ever have to bring it in with the horse, Bert? I remember coming into the elevators with my dad with horses. Other than that, no, I was Mm. tractor and truck man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, really tractors and trucks. I remember on our farm we had an old Fargo. I think it was a one ton. Maybe, and it had the tilt. They were, they were quite popular. Yeah, yeah, so we'd either haul water or be hauling grain once in a while in that. Yeah, the hoist didn't come out until 1952. Okay, so it was probably at least the 1952, yeah. Yeah. One ton. Yeah. So when people, what kind of people come to the elevators then to take a look around? Oh, mm. every kind, everybody from all over the world. Yeah? Yeah. You get a lot of tour yeah, groups We get lots well. of them from Europe, Australia. Uh, New Zealand even mm. had some last year from uh, China and Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 It's really amazing. Uh, these past few years now, I've noticed that less and less local people are coming. But uh, like Ernie says, pretty well from all over the world they come. Mm-hmm. And are they? why are they coming? to Just to see a heritage site or are they interested in the... The elevators in particular, or did they just probably like I didn't uh, took a, just took just a wrong interested, turn? wondering what what's this all about? Yeah, you know, we'll, probably we don't both. Have a brain like that, and, you know, and, uh, a lot of people that are even 
city people. I've had people from New York City yeah. in here, and they just want to know what this was like, you know, 100 years ago. And these elevators are just about 100 years old. Yeah. Yeah, coming up. Mm-hmm. Are you, you yeah. got big plans for the centenary? Some big street party or something? We had uh, our 15th anniversary here two years ago for this becoming a heritage site. 50. So in, that was 50. Sorry. Uh, 15. Like, oh, 15. Since okay. this became a heritage site. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, Centennial, no, we haven't thought about it yet. Yeah, no bread and circuses? No. Yeah, not yet. Yeah. Well, now you are. I can see it. You guys are looking, <laughs> eyeing each other up there thinking, well, fireworks going off in the head, a little idea fireworks. <laughs> Had a reason for a party. <laughs> exactly. Government grant? Government grant, anyone? Yeah, yeah it's possible. LC sponsor? We, can, uh, yeah, we are looking for more money. We have yeah. uh, the last, uh, the northern elevator, yeah, we've done pretty good these last uh, three, four years and renovating and repainting uh, I guess four of the five elevators. So now there's one elevator left, mm-hmm. the northern, that the annex and elevator have to be cleaned up, uh, patched up with the rotten boards, and, and then repainted. Yeah. So it's always something to do, I guess, with these. But they're pretty sturdy, right? Like, in general, the these are an indestructible masses. Like, they're... You're just telling me the amount of nails even in them. And well, the type of wood. there's like the, the, the small reliance here. Um, when they were going to turn into a National Historic Site, that was in 95. I think they had uh, engineers come out. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, that elevator, it was leaning 34 inches over the railway tracks. Okay. I think I told you this probably. Yep. Yep. And that uh, they said, what are you going to do? Well, we want to paint it and all this stuff. They said, well, don't paint that one. And they said, why? I said, because in five years, it's going to fall over. Oh, wow. So they had to lift the whole elevator, because all built with just two by fours. Yeah. And, not, and all they did is scrape the dirt away, dug a hole for the front pit and the back pit, pit and built. Mm-hmm. No piles, no nothing. Yeah. And so therefore, everything started to rot. So they had to lift the whole elevator up, replace what was it, burnt the bottom four feet. I wasn't with, on the board when they did that. Treated, but, well, I got pictures of them here. But mm. they did have large jacks. two by sixes underneath. Okay. They'd lift the whole elevator up mm-hmm. and then rebuild it concrete underneath and then set it back down again. Otherwise, it would have fallen over eventually. Wow. Yeah. Do you have to do that with the other ones now? No, because no. they were built with two by sixes. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. so they're more... Yeah. They're made to last a little longer and maybe the footing was a bit uh, yeah, better i don't know ground or uh, whatever well, how long would they have expected it to be there i mean i'm just <laughs> just if you can put yourself back in their mindset i guess when they build I, these because uh, like you're saying they're building them as probably quick as they can right yeah i don't know somebody uh, had to have a foresight thing, saying they weren't going to be around that long or whatever yeah. but yeah, the thing was to get them built so farmers had a place to deliver their grain closer mm-hmm. to home yeah uh, as far as lifespan I don't even know if that came into their minds. Yeah, probably yeah. not, yeah. I, they probably expected it to be there a long time, and yeah. they, they wouldn't have put a number yeah. on it, maybe. They'd yeah. build one of these in, in three months. Yeah. Right from grass to first load of grain, three months. Three months, yeah. And that's all by hand, ropes and ladders. Wow. No cranes, no electric nailers or anything. Yeah, no vinyl siding. Yeah, yeah no vinyl <laughs> siding. <laughs> no I-beams. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they're yeah because they're beautiful. They're you know, 
there's something when you drive around the countryside it's like you can navigate by them in a way like you can there, there, there comes a town in the distance or mm-hmm. you just sort of i can remember when i was a kid born and raised in humboldt and if we were going someplace saskatoon or wherever we were going when you left a town you could you always knew where the next town was because you could see the tops of the elevators yeah yeah, yeah. And sometimes it wasn't even a town; it was just a siding. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but, yeah. But you know where you were. Yeah, if you're coming home from somewhere, yeah. you know. This, yeah, you just you wouldn't think about it, but you just it's part of the landscape. And yeah, and you'd yeah. just outside it. of humble five miles, Dixon Siding. See, Dixon yeah. Siding, yeah, was was two elevators, mm-hmm. two houses, mm-hmm. the agents' houses. Yeah, and the that, that was it. <laughs> it was very was similar. There. It was very similar on this branch line here. What it would be uh, six miles south of here. Cracknell siding, yeah. and then probably four miles south of there was Medill siding. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was only Russell. one elevator. And then Russell. Yeah, yeah. Medill didn't even have a have a house there. It was just the, ele- just elevator. the elevator. Just yeah. the one elevator. Yeah, yeah. You just had to commute. Had to commute from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horseback. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we see sidings, and we think that's a really shrunken town or something. But it may probably yeah. never was. Yeah. Just maybe even a little bigger than it was at that time. Well, too. so many times you drive across the prairies here and you'll see a sign of a town. Mm-hmm. And you look and there isn't a building. Yeah. There's nothing there anymore. Yeah. It's all gone. Yeah, a lot of towns are shrunken. Yeah. Shrunken back. Well, you take one there that, you know, there was 5,700 elevators across the West. Yeah. Today there's probably what? Maybe 150 terminals? Mm-hmm. If that many, yeah, well, yeah maybe. I'm Does guessing. that affect employment then? Like, uh, oh, there's yeah. no less grain land being farmed. You know, there's probably a little more, if anything. And and so where did where did all the people go? Well, you take like I was saying, there was 12 elevators between here and Russell, 12 miles. Mm-hmm. That was 12 families. Mm-hmm. Now you go to um, uh, Binscarth. They got two terminals there. Mm-hmm. There's probably what four or five people in each terminal, and that's covering an area of like 40 miles, 50 miles around here. Yeah. So you see, the number of people to do it, like these these terminals now that are loading 100, 125 cars a mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. type of thing. There's maybe seven or eight people there. And it's all automated. And, and it's all automated. Computerized and yeah, all robotic automated. and so all that. I I would say the the actual grain handling population probably one-tenth of what it used to be yeah it was 10 times more people well because and that's just the grain handling population that's just the grain handling population so the same thing happens with the farmers they get bigger machinery they oh god yeah cover more land maybe yeah when i was buying (coughs) grain back in the 60s the the largest farmer i had was i think 15 or 1600 acres Mm-hmm. When I retired 10 years ago, my one customer had 55,000 acres. Yeah. One guy. Yeah. yeah. And how many hands would he hire even? Uh, in d- During harvest, he had uh, 37 guys working for him. Yeah, for a short yep. period of time. Yeah. And what this other farmer I knew that when I was buying grain, 1,600, was him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big difference. Yeah. <laughs> So where did they all go? Winnipeg. Yeah. Winnipeg, yeah. yeah Winnipeg. <laughs> Toronto, <Manitoba>. Vancouver, <laughs> driving up the house prices. Yeah. yeah uh, really. A lot of them moved. Boys moved to the oil industry in Alberta. Mm-hmm. A lot of them moved there. Yeah. Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. even southern Manitoba. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, into the lumber camps in BC. I know local boys here, they made their living and... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there any... How does that turn around then? Is it anything on the horizon that says things are going to turn around or maybe it's harder for a big farmer to manage like 55,000 acres and he's going to have to reduce? Well, he's got to be automated. He Well, he's he's got to be diversified, I guess you should say. Mm-hmm. Um, that particular farmer also runs um, what is it, about 10 or 12 semis on the road. Mm-hmm. He actually owns uh, three elevators yeah. <laughs> that he bought, like yeah. grain company. So, rail, he, so he's a railway, transportation company. He's yeah, a, the railway he's track was, was taken out, so the grain company wants to sell this elevator. Yeah. So he buys it. And then he can use it for storage. And mm-hmm. instead of shipping it by rail out of there, he'll ship it by, by uh, yeah. semi. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got 10 semis on the road. And during different times of the year, it depends upon what he's handling, you know, what, he, what he's hauling. Of mm-hmm. course, when it comes to spring, he's hauling seed, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, he's hauling grain to his elevators or to his grain bins. Yeah. I think farming will continue to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. It always has been a challenge. It always will be because more and more government restrictions on whatever you do with your land, where you'll make a little bit of a, a ditch or try and straighten out your field, uh, that's all very heavily scrutinized now by the environment. And I can see it becoming, I guess, Farmers are going to have more and more shrewd business people in order to make it go, or I don't know what will happen. I am not that happy with the way things are happening in a cultural country. Yeah, I even said back in the 70s that farming used to be a way of life. Mm-hmm. Now it's a business, and yeah. you got to treat it as a business, not a way of life anymore. I was thinking about that when you said there's maybe eight employees in those two terminals in Binscarth. And I'm like, well, how do you, where do they find the time to sit around and chat about everything that you chatted with the grain buyer back in the, back in the day, like the 70s, <laughs> yeah. or 80s? You, I mean, that was a, yeah. as much a visit as it was, like you'd, you'd learn a lot. Like the yeah. farmer would go in, they'd, between getting their grain, the little sample tested, there's all the chit chat, they're talking, you know, they're, I guess, catching up on different things. They're probably a hub for, uh, the grain buyer to know a lot of people's information or business and be able to to uh, spread the word or just to share information about what's happening in the area. Yeah, altogether different life. Uh, When I was buying grain, um, if I could condense everything, you know, phone the railway and say, bring me four cars and phone 10 elevators and say, haul your coat in, or uh, farmers, haul your coat in and stuff like this. I did, uh, oh, anywhere from 200, 250,000 bushels a year. That could have been condensed into like five months work. Mm Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time you sat around. Yeah, I I can remember going five weeks, my elevator plugged, mm-hmm. no cars, mm-hmm. five weeks, not a thing to do. Yeah. Farmer would come over and we'd sit there and we'd play crib. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trade the news. Yeah, trade That's the news. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Huh. Like, uh, speaking of the grain business now, I know my son-in-law is involved there at Richardson at uh, Shoal Lake. 
Yeah, they have very little time for sitting around or, or visiting. Maybe with the odd customer once or twice a week, but most of the time they're going here, they're going there, they're they're marketing, they're mm-hmm. they're picking up samples, uh, going to meetings, a lot of meetings. Yeah, with the grain company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, when you condense your business, that everything tightens up. Your time tightens up. They, you know. Yeah, like I said, it's a it, it's a different way of life compared to what it was fifty years ago. Yeah, a lot of things are like that nowadays. It's it's sort of gone yeah. that way. Everything is so hectic. It's become so boring. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's literally boring. You don't yeah. get to know anybody, yeah. and everybody's saying, you know, everybody goes on social media, and they think they've got a lot of friends now, but they don't. You know, they don't have any more time than they had. And, <laughs> and you don't really know yeah. them just by looking at a picture or some yeah. short sentence. Like, a, what's that? You know. So it's, yeah, farming was a real community spirit. It was. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the dances we'd have or, the, or just people getting together at a coffee shop or the Saturday in town. Well, going the Grocery back, stores, people shopping, whatever. You did all that. Going back to that, to the public school where I had my schooling, which was Freefield School District, east of town here, five miles. Uh, as long as I went to school there, maybe the lowest uh, enrollment per year might have been 22, and I know it was as high as 36 and 40. Mm-hmm. One teacher. Mm-hmm. And now in that community, oh, what I can think of, there's one child in that whole area there that's in grade 12. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because in the day when farmers got their homestead, like my grandfather did, you got 160 acres. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember going out to his place when I was a kid, and and he would say, so-and-so lived here, and you go half a mile down the road, and so-and-so mm-hmm. lived there, and so-and-so lived there. Mm-hmm. You, probably from his yard, he could probably see eight or ten farmyards. Yeah. And now if he was in an airplane 5,000 feet up, he could see eight or 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to farmers too who uh, operate out in the, you know, and they and they, they complain. Like they have to, to run an operation, whether it's uh, hogs or whatever. Yeah. But but they're like, yeah, we, I don't even know my neighbors. They're probably three miles away in every direction. Yeah. And yeah. they don't have dances or they don't have get-togethers. Yeah, that's right. And their yeah. friends' friendships become <clears throat> different. That's like with people who live in town or yeah. in the city or, you know, but they don't know. It's like people in the city are all crammed in, but they don't know their neighbors. Yeah. And out here, you don't have any neighbors to know anyway. So, yeah. My like, grandfather told me that, uh, well, he was a member of a band. Yeah. And every Saturday night, there was a barn dance. Yeah. Somebody. At somebody's, well, yeah. this guy's George's today, Fred's next Saturday, and yeah. whatever. And the women made sandwiches and stuff like that. And, and men yeah, the moonshine. Yeah, barn and, dance. Yeah. yeah. There was probably some moonshine around, yeah. 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 Very legally bought through the government. <laughs> sure. Yeah, behind a haystack. Well, I, I was talking about. We have the, to keep our podcast legal and all that. Yeah, I don't get any hassle about what went on here 50 years ago. <laughs> I was talking about the time of the month. You know, if the moon was shining or not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you could see, whether you could see clearly to get to the barn dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was about it. Yeah, yeah, that was about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's an altogether different life. To, on both sides, the farming side and the grain handling side, it's it's yeah. altogether different. Is that reflected in any displays uh, in the the elevators and the uh, in the program you have? 
Like, do you talk about the way of life? The way community? Of life, yeah, definitely. We've got the old model machinery there. We've got different scenes of pictures in the elevator of what things were like and when the dirty 30s were around and mm-hmm. yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I guess this goes back to even threshing machines. Like, you'd be threshing to bring... Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to get your grain ready to bring it into market too. Yeah, and then yeah, talk about community because one threshing machine would come through, and all the farmers would basically go field to field, yeah. and helping their neighbors farm to farm. Yep. Yeah, get yep. the get the I grain and pictures of my grandfather. Um, he at one time farmed eight hundred acres back in in twenties, mm-hmm. and picture of of him with his threshing crew there. Yeah, and it was a thresher that he didn't own. Came in. It's just a oh, it's a picture here. The picture. This yeah, is the right there. there yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's there. There's a picture there, and he's there. There's probably eight, ten guys around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I've never seen pictures of my grandparents, where your great grandparents, I guess. Yeah, your grandparent, where he was out. Yeah, and there's just a, all the community men were out there. Yeah, like my, my days of farming growing up, I remember my dad had the thrashing machine, and basically he had uh five neighbors with their sons would be hauling the sheaves and mm-hmm. that that was the thrashing crew and they'd work everybody's they'd work through every yeah. yeah whoever had the dry grain is where the thrashing machine went and they did it mm-hmm. yeah get in as fast as you can and those are horse drawn to start with too those thrashing yep. machines eh? the horses and yeah i've seen pictures of that oh they, definitely yeah go in the circle to run it my grandfather ran his farm with horses until 1947 he bought his first tractor yeah 1947 yeah. old steam engine or a tractor no tractor? no it Gas was fordson yeah remember those bert fordson the old fordson uh, 47 yeah that that's yeah. really quite recent for mm-hmm. me <laughs> <laughs> i remember my dad had his first tractor i believe we've got pictures uh, showing of an old eagle there back to the 20s yeah yeah and then you can go to Austin well, and you there, can see that, all the uh, And that picture engines. there probably is close to it there. Yeah. With that tractor on there, I would say is from about the 1920s. And what's that running on? That's a gas tractor, that yeah, one? Yeah, I okay. believe that's a gas or a distillate, yeah. which would be diesel now. Okay. Yeah. And now, and they still look like the old steam engine mm-hmm. the yeah. tractors. A lot of the styling, I guess, the yeah. internal changes. Yeah, I, I don't styling. believe that is a steam engine there. No. I think that is uh, already one of these. The yeah, it's just got the exhaust, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, steam engine would have the two, the one for steam and one for the exhaust. Mm-hmm. And a lot longer than a round tank. Yeah. And the engineer would be wearing goggles and big long gloves. And <laughs> he'd have he'd have his degree pinned to his chest that says, I know how to run a steam plant. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. doubt it. <laughs> well, we met guys a couple of years ago at Austin, and a young guy, oh, and yeah. he says, well, I'm getting my steam uh, engineering I guess now ticket they, or whatever. Now they would have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he says you have to even just to run them at Austin. You have to be, you have to just in case something goes. You have to know what you're doing. Safety. Yeah. Well, and, a lot, and well, Austin's a tourist attraction, so right. a lot of man, you get they heard got a lot tractors of, there. You get heard a lot of civilians <laughs> there. <laughs> you know, you're scared. Yeah, yeah, their parade's quite long. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think I heard something. They got a th- over a thousand tractors in that place. Probably, yeah. There are a lot of tractors there. I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the John Deere's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we saw we were at Brittle, I think, and we saw that they had a tractor pole, and we were looking at some, and they had an AR, a oh, Ford, yeah, they, uh, yeah. sorry, John Deere AR. Yeah, and I was telling Wendy we had the we had on the farm we had a John Deere D, and it was oh, a yeah. third gen, the second generation farm. Yeah, and um, so I, I went and looked them up 
on the internet because I thought, well, uh, what relation is the AR to the D? And I, I thought maybe the AR was a lot older or something. I looked it up and the D was way older. And yeah. so I was laughing. The D was like, older yeah. and, and the AR, AR was a smaller brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the R was a big one. Yeah. Because I remember starting that thing up and I was like, you know, I'm surprised I can hear anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like a pa 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 And the boom, the compression, just the. Sound yeah. like shotgun going up and boom, 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 boom. So you got it running smooth, and then what was the one brute that started with the little two-cylinder gas engine on top, and you got that going, <laughs> and then you use that gas engine, you flipped it over uh, to start the diesel. That's yeah. about what the time. That? That's about the was time. Was that an R? That, that's about the time the John Deere went to a six-cylinder engine because their diesels they couldn't start them yep. direct, so mm-hmm. they had the little gas engine. To turn them over fast enough so they could turn or turn over to diesel and get the two engine two cylinder engine going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. crazy. They couldn't. They hadn't developed a starter. An engine to start an engine. Power, yeah, an engine to start an engine. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Good old days. I remember being. <laughs> I remember being really cold a lot. <laughs> well, that one that was this past that's January the, and February. Yeah, and that's, that's well, that's even October and March. You yeah, know, but you're you, outside. It's yeah, but really you didn't have storm techs then. Yeah, yeah, I know it's so, so much. But we think so. Like nostalgia, they say, is remembering all the good things. Yeah, and then when you take a real clear-eyed view and you start remembering all the details, it's like okay you know some things are better i guess all i remember is boy those seats were cold yeah <laughs> yeah and you're lucky if you had like a vinyl seat or oh God, a, yeah or if it's yeah and if it's wet and if you sat on it by accident <laughs> and all the, the sponge was holding all the water from overnight oh yeah that was a lot of fun yeah maybe on a field all day with wet clothes on oh, oh i remember the machinery yeah they had none of that they just had the steel seat mm-hmm. bolted to them so they were either two temperatures, hot or cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brother. Yeah, and then they came in with the air-conditioned cabs. And then the <laughs> farms had colds all the time because they'd keep it too cold in the cab. Then they'd go to fix something and it'd be like a 40-degree temperature shift yeah. on them. And they're always running around plug sinuses. Yeah, I can remember my brother-in-law, who's a lot younger than me, he was complaining because the air conditioner and the tractor went and quit. <laughs> I said, take the cab off. <laughs> then you'll know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, working with those tractors, though, uh, even in the combine, the air conditioner had to work because enclosed in glass, mm-hmm. you can't believe how hot it gets in there when the air conditioner quits. No yeah. circulation, yeah. Yeah, I think we got, my stepdad switched, we switched over to animals out of grain because he had the old open combine, just the, the open thing. And um, I remember like Massey Harris or something. And the swather was just a big triangle, you know. You sat on one part of it with the levers, and you know the engine was out there, and yeah. you know, and that was that was the the equipment. I think maybe even he'd bought it in his lifetime, maybe or his father at the end of his career. But it was that that shift over, and we had a neighborhood a big Steiger tractor, like they they'd upgraded. That's where it was going at that time. Yeah, the big four wheel, you know, the big monster tractors, and I think just. You're looking at the bank saying, do I really want to yeah. support those guys now for another you know, 50 years or whatever yeah. just to, to buy into this stuff? Yeah. And so I think that's when we cleared out of that business, let them take over. But it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, that's what makes it tough too. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an industrial experience and these things cost money and they're complicated. Yeah. And to fix them takes know-how and skill and 
and it's uh the bank the banks are there for a reason yeah because they have the support the financial support but that's right yeah you know and then you got to get the grain off if you want to make those payments and yeah you had to yeah that was your lot you you had your basically six weeks to make your whole year's income yeah yeah it's amazing eh yep and you had to rely on weather you couldn't have any foul weather or when you're seeding, you want it to, to well, be wet, then dry when you seed, then wet again to germinate, <laughs> then a little dry, then a little wet, yeah. then a good sunny period, and then some rain, and then you need it to, to, to dry out a little bit, and then you could swath. No rain, yeah. please. Let it dry a little bit, then combine. Then even a little more dry weather is fine while we go and get the straw and bale it up. Then it can do whatever, you know, yeah. and then you're okay because everything's in the bin and yeah. You know, I guess in those days with the open trucks hauling, you wanted it to be, you couldn't have a big rainstorm either because you had to, That's right. you didn't have the big tarps and stuff, so you had to haul that. So, you, yeah, you had to work around the, the raindrops yeah. well, as well. Well, like I said, we, we certainly worked around the elements a lot more. I, mm -hmm. Like farming my whole life, uh, really, it seems the weather, you worked around the weather, basically. The weather controlled what you did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when the weather was fine, you didn't go to town or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you yeah. you did what you had to do because you, made, made you usually, the sunshines. You really yeah. had that one yeah. good window, and if you didn't use that window, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't know when the next one was coming. Yeah. And the thing is, like I told farmers, you are the biggest gambler in the world mm -hmm. because you're gambling with the weather. Mm -hmm. 52 cards, mm -hmm. you got 52 chances yeah. of drawing the ace of spades. Yeah. But you don't know you're going to have next week a nice day today yeah. our our weather is phenomenal yeah you know, it used to be you'd go outside and say okay what's today gonna be like yeah. didn't turn the tv on <laughs> yeah 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 nowadays you can basically be riding the tractor looking at the weather app and seeing what's exactly what's likely to come or what no, could yeah. be on this way you basically looked at the skies yeah yeah it would just smell like you could smell the different changes you could almost yeah. you could see the way see it smell it you could sense it in a way do you watch the animals, the, the wild animals, what they would do? And <laughs> well, oh, the uh, rabbits are heading in the, the woods. And the birds, get off the, the sparrows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hawks are circling higher today. Good weather. Yeah. It's yeah. very strange, but yeah. uh, didn't have bird feeders out before. Didn't have time to feed the birds. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> now we have the bird feeders out, and it's amazing watching those birds. Mm -hmm. Usually... One or two days before a snowstorm, those birds will feed, and I don't know why. Yeah, they just know. Well, I can remember my grandfather. We were driving down the road, and I was just a kid, and the birds were on the side of the gravel road. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's going to be windy tomorrow. I couldn't <laughs> figure out why. He said, because the birds are eating stones to keep their weight down so the oh, wind doesn't blow the wind doesn't blow away. Okay. Yeah. Smart birds. And, and apparently it, that is a fact. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's why they're, why else would a bird eat stones? Yeah. Oh, they do need it for producing eggs, shells. I know had chickens on the farm and if you didn't oh. give them any grit. Yeah. Well, the they, the shell, craw, they shells did. would just get. Soft. Well, I know our chickens would eat the little stones and stuff because it would help the grain mm -hmm. we fed them break it, down. Yeah, the well, crop. because yeah, that, was mm -hmm. their, mm -hmm. that was part of their that was part of their food process. Yeah, but they were so dumb. I don't think they'd know if it was going to be windy or not. So, how many more years are you going to have the elevators? We won't be around. 
they'll outlive probably all of us, eh? I guess I'll put in my years when I feel like I want something to do extra in summer as a volunteer and mm-hmm. looking after these. And I, I hope they continue with uh, other younger volunteers that it keeps on going. They've been in existence now for close to 20 years. And uh, mm. oh, I don't know, what would you say, another 20? Oh, another 100 probably. Okay. A couple hundred. <laughs> yeah, Those as long as the foundations are pretty good, eh? As long as well, yeah. there is none. <laughs> no, but what they're they're standing true and they're standing. Yeah, they're on, they've um, lasted one hundred. Yeah. So why not two hundred? Because the land's not shifting. Like it's not because shifting. you got to remember is yeah they didn't put any piles underneath it. Yeah, but when you think of take one of these elevators, thirty two thousand bushels of grain. Look at how much lumber is in it. Yeah, how much weight there is in thirty two thousand yep. bushels yep. times sixty pounds. Yeah. How much weight is on that to compress down? Yeah. So it's probably like cement under there. It's probably like cement yeah, under there. As, as long as they went down true. Yeah. And, and just kept That's compressing and compressing. Yes. yes. Not like that little reliance. Yeah. Yeah. You have an issue where. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, as long as they're maintained, yeah. and like these guys, this last board of directors here since I've been here for, what is that now? Seven years? Mm-hmm. Eight years? Eight years, About I think I've been there, here altogether. Yeah. That and, I'm on, yeah. And uh, between Judy and Bert, uh, Oh God! They're just looking after this place mm-hmm. and painting it and replacing build windows We've, and boards yeah. and stuff like that. As long as that is maintained, yeah, these elevators could be here another hundred years. Wow! What's it cost to paint an elevator? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, now he's gonna crap. Uh, probably, probably about uh, thirty times as much as it did to build them. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many our, our last many estimate okay the last estimate we have for the northern here now to do is basically right around 70,000 70 to 80,000 we'll do it patch it up uh, and the scraping and the painting wow how many that, coats do you have to put on uh, two coats two, two good coats but it does have to be scraped uh, mm-hmm. there's uh, lumber that's got to be replaced is yeah. that the annex also Bert that's with the annex oh, that, oh that, that's a good price I, I think yeah. that's with the annex Okay. Who does that? Who does that work? Like who will uh, actually do the hands-on? There is different contractors, like because that's kind of specialty work. Like the UDG. And, oh yeah. Yeah. UDG. You must have heard about the big deal we had here with Rick Mercer coming out, coming out the one day and helping paint and what have you. Uh, no. That was two, two years, summers ago. Two we years. Don't, we don't ago, watch yeah. TV anymore. Yeah. Stu Brecken and his volunteer yeah. crew. He's out of Houston, Texas. Okay. But his dad and Guy call Doc Holiday. Hmm. Dave. Yeah, their their two dads were in the elevators, agents. Hmm. And so they wanted to do something and they read the story in the free press, I believe it was. So they came with a volunteer group. There was a thing around 12, 14 people. Yeah, and right. one week they, you know, like worked on these elevators or built elevators when they were kids, okay. you know, back in the 50s and 60s. And they did an awesome job, came out here and did it for free. Yeah. Rick did. Mercer was here and. Yeah. Yeah. No, but he was pretty good. Yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah, How long did to, that take them? To paint it? Yeah. What they hear, basically, five days? Basically one week. One week. Yeah. They didn't quite finish. Yeah. So. Stu was out here with uh, three, four guys last summer and finished the job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they stayed at Bonnie's, and Bonnie said, well. That's right, yeah. (laughs) 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 
Are you saying drink a lot of beer when you paint an elevator? <laughs> yeah, you have to. It was, it was You're not going up there sober. <laughs> Good view, though, I guess. Eh? Yeah. You see two or three views at oh, once, yeah. like a little cross-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't drink while they were on the job. No, that was after. No. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be hot, hot thirsty work. Reminds <laughs> me of farming. Yeah. If there's one thing for sure, things that won't change is that they will always change. <laughs> Absolutely right, Bert. Thanks, guys, for filling us in and giving us some uh, a better understanding of the farming life, and elevators in general. Like I said, it was a different way of life than what it is today, both buying and farming. Well, I guess that's everybody's life. Okay, so huge shout out to Bert Marshall and Ernie Neubauer. I know uh, Ernie stepped away from the elevator, from the curating the elevators. And I'm, I'm not sure, Bert may have as well. Uh, I know they were instrumental in getting them up and uh, up and uh, refurbished and in uh, putting the little museum in and doing all that great stuff. And so huge shout out to all the committee members who made that happen and are still making it happen and giving tours and keeping the spirit of the elevators alive. Um, yeah, it's, it's wicked to see any, you talk to somebody who's seen them and, and they're just blown away. It's worth the trip. Go with Tinglis. They got a little, uh, you can grab a bite to eat out there. Uh, they have a, a what is it called? Like a hotel, <laughs> a hotel that has, you know, you can, you can grab some good food. Uh, you can have a, a pop if you want. You can have an adult pop. Uh, you can uh, enjoy the drive. Enjoy the drive. Roots or Rusty's is up there. Go to a house concert if you're in the area. Um, all kinds of good things happening up around the Russell area. Uh, over at Lake of the Prairies. Just fun stuff to do. Um, if you're on your way to Dauphin, uh, take a trip around. Go around the park. See all the communities around the park. You'll see a lot of landscape. You'll see a lot of rolling, big rolling valleys and uh, a lot of nice prairie land and a lot of forest if you're getting close to the park. That's the Riding Mountain National Park, that is. Uh, we have one, we have two national parks in Manitoba. One's way up north. So well worth the visits if uh, you can afford the gas, of course. <laughs> but uh, life used to be a lot smaller. Now life is a lot of five-hour road trips, uh, as we all know. We'll spend a day on the road. So anyway, um, that's it for this show. But I'm going to leave you with a little present here. If you listened all the way through, you're going to get a little gift. And that little gift is Ernie Neubauer giving me a tour through the elevators. And I just let him do his thing. And it was mega interesting. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to listen to that on the way out here, on the way out the door. And uh, see you off back to your day. So this is Mahangel, this is the Manitobaville podcast, and just a reminder, we are copyright 2022 Rodeo Road Studios. All right. Okay. My name is Ernie, and uh, my claim to fame is that in 1967, I was the youngest grain buyer in Canada. I was only 20 years of age. But these, as I said, were built in 1922. The tall one was built in 1941. At one time, like these are original, not have been moved away, not have been brought in or anything like that. 
At one time, there was over 5,700 of these across Western Canada. By 1990, they were down to about 1,100, and today there's less than 300. But it's the only place in North America or in Canada that has its original hip-roofed wooden elevators. Um, we're not sure about the United States, but we could be the only place in North America that has it. Somewhere around 1908, the elevator companies, which at one time there was almost 300 of them, got together and standardized the construction of a wooden elevator. So basically, they're all the same, and you'll see this all. I've got a video to show you that is about 12 or 13 minutes. It's a day in the life of a grain buyer, and you'll see everything I'm explaining to you. This is a schematic of an elevator. This is your driveway, your in-drive, your front pit, your scale, your out-drive. Farmer comes in, drops his load of grain. Uh, you know the difference between wheat and barley and stuff like that. Do you know what a bushel is? Hmm? Perfect. Perfect. And a mile. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, farmer comes in, they weigh his full wagon or truck, dump it, weigh the empty, bingo, they know how much he's got for grain. When he's unloading it, the agent will take samples and will grade it. Because in wheat, for instance, you could have grade one, two, three. At one time, there were six different grades. What he does then, it's in the front pit, and he will put it into another bin. Let's say, for example, it's number two wheat. He wants to put it in another bin with number two wheat. Goes up the leg, through the Gerber, which is adjustable. You see it in the video. And dumps it into another bin with number two wheat. Now, let's say he gets cars, and he wants to ship this number two wheat. He dumps it over the back pit. You, or the back hopper, you'll see that in the other elevator. This here is set up differently. We've got everything taken out of here, but you'll see it all. He weighs it, because he's got to keep track of what comes in, what goes out, dumps it in the back pit, again, up the leg, through the Gerber, and out into the car. Now, if you come with me, watch your step, because basically what they did is remove the topsoil, dug a hole for the front pit, a hole for the back pit, poured approximately 12 to 14 inches of concrete, no rebar, and then built. This is what is known as crib construction. The boards are laid this way. And about every four to six inches, there's a nail in here. This is one bin. This particular elevator is built with two by sixes to here and then two by fours. The Reliance next to us is all two by fours construction. And the next, the, the new one in 1941 is all two by sixes. And I'll give you, show you an example of that. This is solid. Building of just the bins of an elevator, approximately 24 to 2,500 pounds of nails into it. This is the end of the line, Inglis's. So in the 50s already, they threatened to take the rail line out. This is what the two look, what these elevators looked like in 1995 when they did pull the railway out. This is your UGG, your Northern. Oh, by the way, the names on the elevators are the original builders. Patterson is the only one that's still in business. This is built with 2x4s in 1922, 1941 with 2x6s. By the early 30s, this small one was leaning over the tracks. By 1995, the engineers said it was 27 inches it was leaning over the railroad tracks. They wanted to leave it like that, but uh, the, the engineers said, no, you can't because this is going to fall over. So they redid the bottom of it and stood it back up again. An elevator is for the handling of grain, um, 18 to 24 bins in it, roughly. This here is an annex. 
excuse my mess. Uh, this is for the storage of grain. There's only four bins in here. And if you come over here and look at the construction of it, this is our interpretive center, so we've taken some of the stuff out. But these bars started about the four foot level. You had a wall here, and a wall here, and then what they call the pony wall here, and then a sloped roof on it. This here in the floor is not a mess up by the carpenter. This is to illustrate where the auger ran. So you had a kind of a tunnel here. You pulled a slide about every five or six feet, the grain ran into the auger, the auger took it in the back pit, up to the elevator so you could ship it. When you were done, you had about 2,000 bushels of grain in here you had to get in and shovel. I know, because I had one of these. Taxes was a big thing. When you take a grain company that went and built them on these concrete terminals, maybe 30, 50 miles away, they would get rid of these things. Well, back in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, farmers couldn't afford to buy them. They were just too expensive to keep and operate, and they were too big for them, so they would get rid of them. Today, they sell them to farmers. But there's two ways to get rid of an elevator. Number one, you can burn it. But when you got 90, 100-year-old wood, you got embers flying for miles. Basically, you get into, in with it with a backhoe, and you keep digging at it. This is your bin floor. This is called a cupola. You dig at it till it falls over, and basically just the top falls off. That's to show you how sturdy it is. Then you cut it apart, haul it someplace, and burn it. Here's a comparison between yesterday and today. These were built six to ten miles apart, rule of thumb being that that's what it would take a farmer to get into town with his horses and wagon, dump a load, and get back before dark. Uh, Inglis here had five elevators, well, four companies. Russell had four. By the way, the elevator in the middle of Russell is actually owned by Dirtcatch Farms. And there was a town halfway in between, that's 11 miles across country, called Cracknell. And that had three elevators. And between Cracknell and Russell, there was another siding where there was another elevator. So you had 12 elevators in here. Now you got none. These are one-man operations. You did everything. You swept the floor, you greased the bearings, you wrote the checks, you bought the grain, you shipped the grain, everything. You did it all. Approximately about 350,000 bushels a year, which would be about 150, 160 of those old boxcars, which hold 2,200 bushels. The most you ever got at a, in a day, and you had 24 hours to load it, was four cars. That's the most I ever got. That's the most I ever got in English. Some larger points would, would, would get some more, but they usually had a helper. Actual loading time of one of those cars, hour and five, hour and ten minutes. So by the time you swept it, coopered it, you'll see that in the video, moved it out of the way, it was probably an hour and a half if you busted your butt to do it. The railways hated it because in a place like Melville, just across the border here, there's a big railway station. And they assemble what's called a unit train. In those days, it was 100 cars of wheat going to, let's say, Vancouver. And they'd assemble them there. So you can imagine how many stops they had to make to assemble 100 cars. You didn't always get four. Sometimes you got three, sometimes you got two, sometimes you got one. So they probably had to stop 30, 40 times to pick these up or to, to get enough cars for this unit train. Today, these places here, they'll handle five, 10, 20 million bushels. Be about 
usually seven or eight guys in it. The new hopper cars hold 33 to 3,600 bushels. The actual loading time in Yorkton over here, they can spot, for instance, 124 cars, and they got to load them in 24 hours. Actual loading time of these hopper cars, four minutes. Seven minutes from the time to start to finish, closing it up and everything. So you can see the difference. The railway loves it because in Melville, again, they'll assemble a unit train, but this time there are 200 cars of 33 to 3,600 bushels. So you see, they only have to stop like maybe four or five times, that's it. Take it off. So the, rail, the railway loves it. There's just some pictures of the dirty 30s. You know why we don't have that today? They actually use what's called knives today. Yeah. And they only disturb about an inch and about eight inches. Yeah. The thing is, and this is thanks, in the 30s, there was approximately 40% of the arable land in North America was black, was summer fallowed. Mm -hmm. Today is less than 4%. Mm -hmm. And this is all, and a lot of people don't like to admit it, to chemical. Because the thing is, if, like my grandfather, if he had a cabinet thistle problem, he'd summer fallow that piece of land. Mm -hmm. Today, you've got a cabinet thistle problem, you seed it, you buy curtail them, you spray the cabinet thistle out. Yeah. Less than 4%. And usually that's some organic guys and some stubborn guy who isn't going to pay Monsanto the money. Mm. Here is a, an example of around Regina. Uh, that's a fairly new uh, tractor in the 30s. There was a gentleman here from Mooseman, uh, 25, 27 years old. He was telling me he farms with his dad and he farms his great-grandfather's homestead. They bought the piece of land next to it a number of years ago. He went in there with a cat to dig out the, tree, the, the trees and the fence line. Underneath the fence, he found another fence. Because this is what happened, what are you going to dig it out with? Mm -hmm. So his great-grandfather just built another fence right over top of it. This is the barley capital of Manitoba. Those yellow certificates over there are just a few of the one for the championship malt barley. Do I have to explain what malt barley is used for? Beer. I have the odd 10-year-old I have to explain it to. <laughs> <laughs> it was only a two-row variety that was accepted for malt, and I think it was the micronutrient balance in the soil here that was anybody who grew barley here got malt for it. Uh -huh. And then in the late 50s, it came out with a six-row variety that can be grown anywhere, so that was the end of the championships. Hmm. In 95, the only two elevator companies that were still in business was Patterson and United Grain Growers, who went out of business, I believe it was in 98. So they could only find two agents from 1922. Northern over here, which turned to National, which turned to Cargill, and then turned to Patterson. Uh, this is as far back as it goes, 1936, with this gentleman. Manitoba Wheat Pool was in here for a while. Um, this gentleman was here for 30 years. You'll see this gentleman's coat in the other elevator. Um, this gentleman here owns um, a geothermal operation in uh, Russell and sells bottled water and stuff like this and white kids. And uh, Doug Curtinback has the uh, small building you've seen out here about a mile out of town. He sells chemical and seed to farmers. This painting, mosaic painting, and that's sculpture in the corner over there was done by this gentleman here. His parents owned the hotel in the late 40s and early 50s. 
and he's fairly worldwide known for this, for these. This is exclusive for us. He did this for us because he was born and raised. He was he was raised here. Is that Don Don Proch? Yeah. Proch. How would you pronounce that? Proch. Proch. Yeah. Don G. Proch. Yeah. Okay. He lives in Winnipeg. Yeah. The hotel from the fifties to seventy-five. He's going to come back and do this because we got no heat in here. Mm -hmm. We got some of this stuff. Have yourself a seat. You're obviously into computers. Mm -hmm. 1928 computer. <laughs> Winnipeg Grain Exchange. <coughs> do you know what a grain moisture tester is? What it is or what it yeah. does? Maybe both. Well, it probably determines the amount you have to dry the grain before you ship it. Yep, I'll explain it to you when we get to it. But this video was shot in 1981 in southern Saskatchewan. Why southern Saskatchewan? They're going Durham. You don't go Durham in the north. If you eliminate the moisture tester that's in here and the vehicle, vehicles, this could be shot 100 years ago. Yeah. The moisture tester, actually in the other elevator, I'll show you one they used 100 years ago. If you need a bathroom, there's one on either side. You want to turn off the lights?